What's up, everybody? It's Jenna, and I'm joined by... Travis. Yeah, Travis, my <laughs> boss. Oh. What does that mean? <laughs> Are we power, under attack? It's a power surge. <laughs> Nothing, no factor. Press. Yeah, so, okay, like I said, we're recording this next to live. It's Wednesday here in Afghanistan, so the podcast will be dropping in the U.S. in about eight hours. So we're just giving you a little update on what's going on from downrange, as we like to call it, a.k.a. the war zone. Ha <laughs> 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 It is. So in the last week, I feel like it's gone so fast. And when we do this every week, it really does go fast because I try not to look at what day it is, try not to count, but since there's a deadline... Week I definitely, to week. I definitely lose track of days. Yeah, and especially and since... And I look at a schedule every day. That's true. Travis controls the schedule, so I always try to suck up to him so he gives me the best flights, best hours, the best flying partners, because obviously everyone's fighting to fly with me since I'm the best female we have. Only female. <laughs> title is a title. <laughs> uh, but, okay, so kind of an update where we're at. This might be the last podcast that I get to do with Travis. Unless he calls in, because if things go according to plan, a.k.a. he doesn't have COVID, he's probably going to be out of here pretty soon. Yep. But we did the test, what did you do, two days ago? Uh, Monday, yeah. Yeah, so anxiously awaiting to see if it's positive or negative. There has been some COVID around the office, so it's tough to say. If he does have it, though, he'll have to quarantine again before he leaves, and then quarantine again before he goes to the place that he's going next. Yay. So that, that worst case scenario, that could be six weeks of quarantine. But you know what? Best case scenario. Food reviews. Food reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Every, okay, so I opened up questions on Instagram, and most of the questions were just comments that you missed the food reviews. And other comments were, what is it like in Afghanistan as far as the menu goes? Best and worst foods. Everybody was asking about desserts, and I don't know if you know this, but we work out. You get ridiculed if you have desserts. Yeah, Jenna had a, <laughs> well, you had a thing of mac and cheese yesterday, and she hid from everyone <laughs> to eat it. <laughs> we were all down in the office, like, down here in the lead office, and I just kind of eased out the door, and I ran upstairs. I was like, I'm going to make a cup of mac and cheese, and then one of our other buddies caught me and told everyone. And actually, the other day, I was down here trying to put creamer in my coffee, and Travis called the other room to tell them. Yeah. What I was doing. <laughs> so we get ridiculed on how we eat, but that's a good thing. No it kind of holds no you. No sugar, no nonsense. <laughs> We're on a tight ship around here. Holds you to a higher standard. But I won't lie, it is tough to not eat sweets if they're in front of you. And the chow hall does have some cookies and pie on occasion, but I just try not to even look at it. The box of cookies tasting out oh, magically disappeared. Yeah. Any gifts from home? Just don't even don't even send the cookies. I have no self control. Well, no, all gifts from home are considered. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? They're like they don't count against your calories. Oh yeah, they check them because at the border. it's it's not like we're getting snacks from the chow hall. Like these are made with love and care, and if you don't <laughs> eat them, then you're just slapping your that's loved ones true. in the faces. It would be disrespectful not to eat them. Exactly, and but... I think that's an understanding we have amongst each other. Yeah, true. I I feel like everybody eats sweets. It's just. We all hide them from each other and do it when no one else is looking. Until you catch Jenna with the box in her hand. <laughs> so the mac and cheese thing, that's like leftover from a long time ago when 
this strike basically ruined the chow hall and we weren't allowed to go in there and so we were supposed to eat MREs for like well I don't remember it was like a week or two weeks straight after that this other guy on our program ordered like 200 packets of mac and cheese so that we never had to go hungry again you're gonna talk about rippets being currency oh yeah mac and cheese is straight mac currency. and cheese is currency <laughs> but I will I will say that the only energy drink that is afforded to us by the government is rip it it is literally the official energy drink of the military and they are one of my up-and-coming sponsors they were going to be official this year until all the covid stuff happened um, but we are still planning on doing that for the up-and-coming season but regardless if they're my sponsor or not rip it is like a currency out here and they only give them to us on fridays and you're only supposed to take two from the chow hall but everybody goes in their cargo pants and loads up as many as possible. I think the record right now for most rippets in a single trip is 21. <laughs> but that was like in the middle of winter where you're like, you have Coats. big pants on, you have like a hoodie, a big jacket. So it's like you have pockets galore <laughs> to fill. Yeah, I usually drink one rippet on a flight because the cans out here are small. Like I was saying, you know, my urine schedule is very important. I can't be having a full can just in case. But even though I just drink usually one per day, you can use Rip It as like a bargaining tool. Like, hey, do this and I'll give you a Rip It or, you know. You want to fly for me? I got five Rip Its. <laughs> I'm not feeling too hot. I, feel, I don't feel good and I have a Rip It on it. Odds are that person's going to jump at the Rip Its and the flight. Yep. <laughs> You're drinking one rip it a flight? I one drink, rip it. I drink one an hour on a flight. I wait until the halfway point just in case so that I know I usually don't have to go to the bathroom. So I just take at least 10 to 12 and then whatever our station time looks like. It must be nice. Yeah, but it also I can nice. pee in the bottle, so it's fine. Yeah, speaking of bathroom situations on the plane, Ooh. you know how we talked about it and it had been several months. I hadn't even really even heard of people pooping yeah. on the plane. It's been a while. Which we refer to as a code brown. And then all of a sudden last week, there was an incident. Yeah, well, <laughs> some like obviously you guys don't get to see like all the food that is eaten, but sometimes <laughs> it is it is miss. Like, it's a risky deal on it occasion. Is caps lock miss. <laughs> <laughs> It is bad, and just so happened that it wasn't me or Jenna, yeah, just was... to clarify, but uh, yeah, you just get the, that feeling in your tummy, and you got a emergency. <laughs> you got an emergency, but you know what? <sighs> from what I from what I heard from the crew, the individual did a good job at sealing everything, and <laughs> there was no smell. Just knowing that it was happening right next to you would just what send would have me been over right the next edge, to you? and I would have such a fit. But ultimately, there's nothing you can do about it. I, I just think in the future, if someone has to do that, they shouldn't tell me. They should just go to the back of the plane, do their business, and if I notice, fine. But you don't prep me. You would lose your I mind. Would, I would absolutely come unglued. I might jettison myself from the plane before we land. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> but this actually got me thinking of a story about one of our good friends that I work out with all the time. I, I love him to death. But his story of pooping on the plane was discovered via... The other guy looking under all the computer screens and seeing his little toes. And, and he was like, Jarrett, what are you doing? Why is your sock off? <laughs> and Jarrett was like, I didn't have any toilet paper, bro. 
and that's literally how it was discovered. So. Uh, that was another caps lock miss <laughs> on the food situation. Yeah, the that's food also is like, risky. And that's like, and it sort of happens like in the changing of the seasons. Like yeah. when your body's changing with the temperature and then like you're trying to take the food and apply it and you try to eat healthy so you have some greens in there and and some people think that the water that they wash the vegetables in is the cause of like it's suspect yeah but i won't say that has never happened to me i'm just saying in the beginning when i first got out here it was bad if i didn't have the days off it would have been an emergency situation but since that first initial like getting over it phase now i've been fine the whole time because like in the bathrooms they say there's little signs that say non-potable water don't brush your teeth in the water but if you're out here for as long as we are you just do it plus you shower in it so yeah you're ingesting a little bit of it regardless the water's fine it's just it's from what i was told it's the like the chemical levels isn't what like what we would use in the states like the water's clean it is perfectly fine to use but it doesn't <laughs> meet like the usa standard of <laughs> good water good thing those standards aren't out here for us <laughs> i'm just saying <laughs> you ever brush your teeth in a stream uh, i have drank from a stream before especially when i was little we used to play horses all the time you, if you drink from a hose you're perfectly fine <laughs> yeah and also not having weak jeans helps not weak jeans hose from a gatorade in the 90s is like or hose from a oh, fuck. like a well like a yeah. well is what we had and we just drink straight out of it yeah or a dam doesn't matter yeah. that's what we did country kids i guess but okay let's um let's dive into some questions from instagram before we have to go there were a couple of good ones um and we won't get to talk about them all but i just wanted to bring up a couple that i liked so this one specifically how do you say mentally tough out here uh i i mean that's a good question because it is it's a complete it's a complete change from what you're used to in the States. Like when we go home for 60 days, we sort of get into a routine mm -hmm. and it's very like lackadaisical and like we just nonchalant go about our day and then having to like completely uproot yourself and enter a high speed, high stress environment. That's um, constantly changing. Constantly changing is it's tough. I mean, and I think one of the best ways that we are able to do it is I think the camaraderie we have with each other is a big factor and like us being able to like build and le lean on each other when we need to. So, cause we're not, we can't do it all by ourselves. And I think having the group uh, there to help us is, yeah. a, is, a, is huge. It's a, like absolutely critical to a part of like staying mentally tough out here for 60, 75 days. Yeah, or sometimes even longer. I think the longest I was out here was four months and that definitely takes a toll on you mentally. And I think where I struggle the most is if I am looking on social media a lot and I'm seeing people having a great time rodeoing, I have serious FOMO and then I get down a little bit like I'm missing out. But just having like joint suffering, I guess, yeah, makes it better because you're all in it together. And if your partner can get through it or the guy to your right or left can get through it, you can too. So it's not, it's not crazy um unbearable it's just sometimes it is tough so i don't know i lean on these guys a lot and the camaraderie thing is a little bit different being a female sometimes i think it's to my advantage because i am a girl so they know like sometimes you gotta take care of the the little sis and even like today just on a day-to-day -day operation even though i've been here a couple weeks now 
I came in and my stuff was kind of messed up. I was a little flustered. I'm like, Travis, help me. And he's like, I got, got you. I guess that's why you're the boss. Settle but. down. Settle down. <laughs> it is okay. <laughs> I hate being rushed, no matter if I'm getting a brief ready, if I'm going out to the plane, or if I'm getting a horse ready. Being rushed flusters me. So I come in early. I like all my things squared away. It's uh, like dynamic environment which more often than not you can't control where i start to get a little riled but you got these guys out here you know this is some people's third year even so there's always somebody that you can ask or people you can lean on absolutely but yeah that was a good question um this uh, this question i want to talk about a little bit too because politics is such a huge issue right now back in the states and not that travis and i know everything i mean pretty close but <laughs> question is how would you stop rioting looting and chaos in the US and that's obviously a difficult question for people in charge to answer the government and the police so I don't know that we know everything but just from my perspective the the culture out here is just to follow orders and to do what's right and that's just the type of person that joins the military and like-minded people you know out here we really don't have any problems there's no theft there's no like crime it's just we're all very good humans and we trust each other and not that that is something you can just magically come up with in the u.s but i personally wish that the penalties and the punishment for doing things like looting and rioting if it's violent and destructive i think the punishment should be so great that it that it outweighs that risk which is a bold statement to make and anytime i get into politics i get severe backlash online but I'm just staying true to who I am and what I believe in. And like even growing up, I didn't act out in high school or when I was younger for fear of repercussion of my dad. They ran a tight ship. I knew that if I'm a little hellion, I'm going to have to pay the price. <laughs> so not only did that home structure, like very structured home environment, like prepare me for the world ahead, but so did the military. And I obviously have a clearance in this job and I would never do anything to risk that or jeopardize it because this job is so valuable and like the stakes are so high that I just wouldn't do that. So for people at home that don't have jobs that are going and wrecking small businesses, what is the, like what are the stakes for them? Like do they go to jail? Do they get a slap on the wrist? Or are they just allowed to do so? And the more I watch the news, the more disturbed I am by ultimately what's happening in our nation. But that's just my sen my two cents on it. So. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a good point. And I think the it's it's definitely like a touchy subject. Because um, obviously, I don't think anyone likes the rioting and looting and like all the absolute nonsense that's going on back in the States. But I think there is a... There, there needs to be a, like a, essentially like a forum where like people can be heard in right. a, in a positive and a productive manner. And like the looting and rioting, like just tearing small businesses. And even like I saw a car dealership was like burned to the ground. Um, like it's like what happened to like trigger that event obviously was, is tough and it sucks, but like that doesn't do anything. That doesn't, there's no progression for, for anyone by doing that but if there is a place where you can be heard and and your and your voice can be listened to and accepted in a positive manner i think there's a lot of progression there because a lot of times like we have people out here who have like 
uh, disagreements on like politics and like how the country is run and like what stuff happens, but we're not setting each other's dorm rooms on fire. Yeah, but in the, a disagreement, the conversation that we have are a lot of times like productive. Like, all right, I see how that. I see how you see that. I understand. Uh, I don't agree with it, but like we're not gonna like write someone off just because they don't agree with us. And I think that a lot of people back in the states need to understand that like not everyone disagrees, but just because you don't agree with them doesn't mean you have to destroy their entire world. Right, and I'll just kind of piggyback on that in that a lot of things that we talk about out here, people like to disagree just to disagree. And it, you know, in the beginning, sometimes I would get triggered or try to convince them. And if they don't agree with me, I would get a little bit riled up. But this group is really comical in that we definitely push each other's buttons and it instigates a lot of good discussion on several issues not just politics but i like how that style is where everybody's opinion is welcome and if you have a bold statement you should have facts to back it up um, and be able to also get along with people who don't agree because obviously we don't all agree on everything we come from all different walks of life but yeah, that was a loaded question. That was a good question. Okay, one more quick question, and then we got to get going. Um, what's the hardest part about being out here? Being away from family. Yeah. And like you said earlier, like, the FOMO of, like, seeing everything, like, especially, like, in, like, the warmer months for me, like, seeing, like, all my buddies play golf and play volleyball tournaments, and, like, and I I, I can't be a part of that, and it, 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 that's tough. And then coupling that with, like, being away from your loved ones is... Uh, is like hard like just got engaged like i want to spend this time with my fiance like yeah so like being away from her is tough but like we have to do this to like progress ourselves in the future i agree yeah and also like for me i like coming out here because it gives me a chance to slow down and i can think about what it is that i want to achieve in the rodeo world or in business and i can make a game plan and i can work on some things online or you know connect with old friends, FaceTime a lot that I sometimes don't make time for in the States because we just get so busy being busy that some of those things... They almost take advantage of it, like the FaceTiming stuff in the States. Yeah. Yep. All right, well, we got to cut this short, but thanks for tuning in, guys, and be sure to let us know if you have any questions for next week. See you. Bye. Welcome, horse lovers. You're listening to the Horsepower Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Smink ranch kid turned pro barrel racer, entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll be bringing you the most talented and accomplished, inspiring and interesting minds in the equine industry from every facet all around the world. Together, we can turn decades into days sharing knowledge and experience to elevate each other on our own personal journeys. So tighten your cinch, because here we go. Alright everybody, welcome back to the Horsepower Podcast. I am recording with a young lady all the way from Australia today. Her name is Felicity Davies and she is the founder of the Confident Equestrian Program. Thank you so much for being on our show today. How are you Felicity? I'm so well. Thank you so much for having me Jenna. I'm really excited to chat with you today. So what part of Australia are you from? I've never been there but I've always wanted to go. Okay, so I'm from South Australia, which is 
Yeah, at the bottom, underneath the Northern Territory. So it's not um, as popular as like New South Wales and Sydney or Melbourne. But yeah, it's a really beautiful spot of the world. Well, very cool. And tell us a little bit about yourself. So how did you get into horseback riding? What disciplines did you do growing up and, and what do you do now? Cool. Okay, so I started riding when I was about 12. Um, my mum was always really interested in horses and then um, she didn't have the opportunity to ride when she was younger because her parents weren't really that into it. Um, but yeah, I showed a bit of interest because my friend got into riding and then I was fortunate enough that mum was on board with it um, and I got my first pony and then I started to dive a bit deeper into showing horses. So I went from a pony to a four-year-old thoroughbred. I showed him um, basically like the beauty pageants for horses um, okay. in Australia um, and worked through some sort of challenges and grew a lot with him because he was quite sort of hot and sensitive. Mm -hmm. And then I've showed quite a few other horses sort of since then. But then I gradually grew more intrigued with sort of horsemanship um, methods and I really wanted to have a really strong partnership with my horses and always really admired sort of other trainers that could do like liberty performances with their horses yes. and they just really had like a super strong bond with them. So um, after showing for quite a few years, um, I then was getting a little bit discouraged because it's quite political. And I also wanted to improve my horses um, sort of confidence levels at the shows instead of just sort of forcing him around the ring like everyone else seemed to be doing if they had a bit of a hot horse. Um, so that led me to applying for a job on Facebook, um, working overseas in Germany with Will wow. Rogers Performance Horses. So I basically jumped on a plane um, and lived over there for 10 months and worked with Will and the other girls at the stable and immersed myself in horsemanship with dressage horses and really amazing dressage horses um, and learnt all about the process of um, preparing horses for different environments because he does these amazing liberty performances with big plastic tarps that cover these horses mm. and yeah it's just super inspiring to see um, someone work with such sensitive horses and have them be so um, sort of relaxed but um, perform so beautifully at the same time in these extreme environments. So yeah, from there I um, came back to Australia and have just since been diving into sort of horsemanship, training horsemen's horses and also um, diving into learning about positive reinforcement and also incorporating that. So yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind but that's me in a nutshell. That is so amazing. How fun to go and immerse yourself for 10 months. I honestly think that's the best way to learn and to have somebody yeah, I, that's a great coach showing you the way and helping you through struggles. Because I think for someone like me that wants to get into Liberty, it's hard to watch a video and then go do it with my horse when I have questions popping up. So it's so awesome that you were there with him but I just love that you do R plus training and that's truly what I wanted to bring to my listeners today yeah. because in the western world I think it's almost unheard of and I, I don't know I can't speak for English but I only heard the term this year and I was just blown away I didn't know it existed I knew I knew some things about it because I had seen it with dolphins um, when I lived in Florida yeah. but can you just take us 
through it what a broad concept of R plus training is. Yeah, sure. So um, positive reinforcement training is just about reinforcing the horse for a behavior that they've offered. And you're reinforcing them using something that they really like. So that could be scratches, it could be food rewards, that kind of thing. So if you're working with positive reinforcement purely, what you would wait for the horse to do is when they're at liberty um, and you've sort of set them up in a situation where they're going to offer the behavior that you want, um, then you'd wait for them to offer that behavior. And then if you're using like clicker training, you would use a bridge signal like a click. Um, I just cluck with my tongue like this, like that. Mm -hmm. And um, that's my bridge signal to let the horse know that, yes, that was the exact behavior that I'm looking for. Your food's coming. Because okay. um, with positive reinforcement, you can't, it, it's different from negative reinforcement because you can give the release at the exact moment the horse does what you want them to do with um, negative reinforcement, so pressure and release. But with positive reinforcement, there's a bit of a delay between, yes, that was the right moment and then them getting the food. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Because that was a question that I had. If they're at liberty and they're somewhat far away from you, you can't... Mm -hmm pinpoint that moment when they are doing what is correct without some type of, I guess, bridge signal. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, to yeah. me. And just growing up, I had always been told or always learned that horses learn on the release. So this is like a totally new method. And it's just mind blowing um, because you can change your whole program and retrain, uh -huh. you know, your horses and the way that you train and communicate with them. Um, to do this method and I think it's so so interesting and so amazing and just really blows my mind so I guess one thing that I want to know is how did you get started into it was this something you learned in Germany or or how did you how did you happen upon it yeah so actually it wasn't um I didn't come across it when I was overseas there were sort of certain circumstances where food was used in the training but not very often Mm -hmm. um, but really I came across it because I was just going through this deep dive after I came back just from learning through different resources and I actually stumbled across um, Mustang Maddie and um, went through her five golden rule, rules program so I sort of learned a little bit more about that there and then started to incorporate it and I was just blown away at how much I was accidentally positively reinforcing my horses in certain situations and how much um, food and scratches is such a powerful motivator for horses and can really speed up your training. Mm -hmm. So question, once you transition into this method, do you use uh -huh. a combo ever or do you find yourself falling back into the old ways of the negative reinforcement or the release style? So I personally at this stage use a combination. So it really just depends on the horse that you're working with because they all um, are motivated by food differently. So if you're working with a horse that um, is um, has really good food manners, they're sort of uh, willing to participate in the training and they don't get sort of anxious around the food, I find um, I've been able to incorporate sort of using negative reinforcement and um, blending the positive reinforcement. So just like adding that kind of cookie on top um, in my training works really well. Um, whereas some horses that perhaps are a bit more foodie, they require a bit of a sort of more tailored approach because sometimes they can, they want to perform, 
um, in the training because they want to earn the food, but then sometimes they can get a bit anxious because they want to move quickly through the training and they might be a bit uncomfortable about certain things. So um, you just get a real um, honest expression of how your horse actually feels in the training session. So you can, like, it's, it's still a good um, thing to sort of look at. But yeah, with those horses, I'd probably look at separating the positive reinforcement sessions and the negative reinforcement sessions. Okay, so kind of separate those when you're working on them. That makes sense, though. Um, so yeah. for horses who aren't particularly treat motivated, is there still a uh -huh. way to do that with them? Do you lean more towards the scratching as a reward? It's like my horse, he, he likes treats, but he won't mm -hmm. put in too much more, like a lot of effort to, to get one. He just, he doesn't really care. And that could be the kind of treat or maybe just how he is. But do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, sure. So I think at the end of the day, it all comes down to working out what your horse is motivated by. So if your horse isn't particularly interested in the treats right now, you need to think about, okay, in your positive reinforcement sessions, um, initially when you start, so you can get him kind of more engaged, work on, okay, how can we keep the reinforcement rate really high and make the session fun for him? So if like some horses might be able to open up a little bit more and kind of enjoy the session, if you allow them to like play a little bit, or maybe you teach them to sort of target some cones or something like that, or follow a target. And then it becomes this really fun game for them because they're like, not only is the food re reinforcing, but being around you training them is, is reinforcing and them like participating in the training is reinforcing because it's like a game for them. Um, so once you can kind of turn it into a game that they know how to win, um, then it's not just the food that motivates them. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. They want yeah. to please us and, and I would love it, you know, if my horse looked forward to training sessions and I love building a connection with him. And that's what just really interests me about this method is the horses yeah. are completely choosing to be mm -hmm. with you. So the videos that I've watched and the things that I've studied, it just looks like something that's right up my alley. And, and I come yeah. from a competitor's perspective where, yes, I want to do Liberty and, and build that connection with my horse, but he's also asked to run like his hair is on fire as fast as he can, you know, into yeah. an arena of screaming people. So that's kind of yeah. what intimidated me was just not knowing that you could absolutely combine the two. Um, so for, mm -hmm. for others who are interested, but but not sure quite how to start, what's, what's one thing that, that maybe we could try on our own, maybe a beginner step, like maybe, maybe the, the backup, or I'm not even really sure where to start. So basically, I like to start with um, doing a food manners exercise first, because then okay. this really um, gets your horse understanding that they can't like mug you when you're um, doing these training sessions and that you can stay nice and safe. Because there's often that misconception of you can't train horses with food because they just get pushy and all of that kind of stuff, which is incorrect. We just need to show our horses, hey, um, you don't get the food when you come into my space, but the food comes to you. So what you can do to set this up is um, first I like to have people um, use what they call protected contact. So basically your horse is on the other side of a fence or a gate and then you're on the other side. So there's something in between both of you, but your horse is completely at liberty. Mm -hmm. Then um, what you would do is if you have a treat pouch or something like that, that can be really useful in sessions. So your horse can differentiate between, yes, we're doing a, a positive reinforcement session versus no, we're not. Oh, um, so that's a bit okay. of a cue to let them know like, oh, cool, the session started. 
Um, then what I would do is make sure that your horse um, has already eaten. They're not too hungry or anything like that because that's going to bring out any anxiety in them if they're really foody. So make sure that they've got hay available. Um, and then what you would do is you're standing on the other side of the fence. Your horse can hang their head over. And then pretty much every time your horse's head is straight or away from you, you give your bridge signal. So you click and then you reach into your pouch and then you, with an outstretched arm, um, give them the food. So you want to make sure that the food is going to them and going away from your body and then they get the food. And you want to start out by every time the head is straight or away, you click and treat, click and treat. And the reinforcement rate is going to be really high when you start. Um, because we want to get our horses to understand, hey, like when my horse, my, when my head is straight or away, I get the food. So then they learn, okay, the food is never at you. And then over time, you can add in duration. So once they understand how to do that for one second, then you can make like three seconds, their head's straight and away, four seconds, five seconds, it goes on. Um, and then you transfer that to working with them. Um, going into their paddock or in the arena and doing the same exercise with you standing on both sides of them so that you're ready to do your training session. Very interesting. Well, I think that's something we could all, all learn from. And, and even for those of us who aren't doing R plus training, I know that sometimes horses and treats can be a fine yeah. line where they get to be pushy or bitey. Yeah. And it, it truly does break my heart to see people smack a horse on the nose when they yeah. are pushing for a treat. So this is a, a great alternative for that because I think the smacking on the nose, while it has good intention, um, it ends up yeah. making a lot of horses face shy. And this is a great yeah. example of we are not speaking their language. So they don't yeah. understand what that means. They just, you know, they start to be shy around hand movements. And you can really tell a horse who's had that behavior um, with them before. So another question yeah. that I had in regards to treats, can you feed your horse too many treats? Is there any kind of nutritional consideration there? And, and do you take like a low sugar or what kind of treats do you give them? And can you give them too many? That's a great question because I know that treats like you just generally think of, oh, carrots or like sweet feed or mm -hmm. something the horse finds really delicious. But what I actually tend to use in training sessions is I'll start out with um, a really like um, what I would call like a low value reinforcer. Um, and basically for really foodie horses, sometimes I might even just use grass or hay or um, we call it chaff, so cut up hay, mm -hmm. um, or a hay-based pellet. <clears throat> and basically I'll start that. So we don't want to make it that like the session, is, like the treats are so delicious that the horse gets really excited yeah. by it. We want to start out with these fiber-based pellets or that you can sort of um, have enough through your training sessions. And also as well is if you do try um, the food manners exercise or any positive reinforcement, make sure that at the end of your training session, you give your horse what um, you can call it like a jackpot reward. So you want to um, leave your horse with a few handfuls of hay so that you're not negatively punishing them by taking the food away from them because they'll get really excited and they'll want to keep going. So we want to make sure that the end of the session, they're getting um, a really big reward to be like, yes, that was awesome. The session's finished now and then you can leave them. Interesting. Um, I love that. Yeah. 
So how long are, are, are your sessions typically? Yes. Basically just start off with, um, yeah. Yeah, so basically with the sessions, um, I, it really just depends on the horse, but what we want to aim for is making sure that the horse is really nice, nice and engaged and their participants keep the sessions quite short, five minute training sessions. So that's something you could really easily incorporate into your routine if you don't have very much time or maybe the weather's not very nice and you can just go out and do a bit of a, like a bonding session with your horse. Um, and then as their sort of um, confidence grows and things like that, then yeah, it just really depends on how long can I keep my horse engaged and let's aim on quitting the session or ending the session before my horse loses engagement. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, similar, I guess, then to barrel racing training just depends on yeah. what the horse is feeling and really being able to read their energy and their demeanor and how alert and ready and present they yeah. are. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, question yeah. for you. So when I'm riding my horse or even on the ground, I have mm -hmm. um, different commands that I consistently use. An, an example is like a click or a kiss. So with that clicker training, introducing uh -huh. a new sound, do they tend uh -huh. to get confused where the clicker might sound like like that? Because for me, that's um, like a movement forward, more energy, mm -hmm. something like that. Yeah, so personally, um, I know um, some people use like the handheld clicker, which makes a very distinct sound that isn't really like any vocal cue that you use. Mm -hmm. But um, for me, I find just clucking with my tongue very different to my normal, like, like that noise is quite different to me than the cluck. And I've found the horses um, know the difference quite clearly as well. Like and as soon as I cluck, you can just see their ears kind of prick forward because they know what's mm -hmm. coming. Um, versus when I like use my like click to ask them to like walk or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think as long as your cue um, sounds different and you're really consistent and you don't accidentally use it in other areas of your training, sure. then I find it's fine. So on the ground, it makes a lot of sense to me how this could happen. When you transfer to on his back, on your horse's back, that's where I don't quite see the picture. What, I mean, are you still using the clicker training while you're on top of the horse? And if so, how do you manage your reins versus maybe having to hang on or it, it just, I don't quite see that picture yet. Yeah, sure. So I think it just depends on how far into it you want to go. So if you're going like pure positive reinforcement, like not really any negative reinforcement, then it's all going to be much the same. You're going to have your treat pouch. You're going to set up like target stations and things like that to send your horse to, and then gradually um, teach them the cues to move forwards and um, steering cues just from um, the exercises that you've worked on on the ground, but you're just transitioning it on the back. So okay. basically when you click, um, when they do the right thing, the difference is that they just turn their head towards you and you can feed them from their back. Um, so that's how that looks. So the food gets delivered to them, um, when they stop obviously because you can't really keep going um, yeah. but another cool thing is um, and this is where if you wanted to blend it a little bit with your negative reinforcement is um, I find really helpful for me personally is using what they call an intermediate bridge so basically the inter intermediate bridge lets your horse know like yes you're on the right track keep going 
So what I'll say is I'll like get them to do a certain exercise and if they're on the right track, I'll be like, good, good. Okay. And then I'll, I'll click and then they stop and I give them the food so that they know, okay, I'm on the right track. The food is coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can just help like you can extend your sort of duration in your training rather than just keep stopping and starting all the time. Right. So I would, um, with your training, with the barrel racing and things like that, what I would do is any moments where you give your horse that big release, so maybe after you've done a run or something like that and you stop and let them rest, then I would give them the food reward. So you okay. might not necessarily even um, give them a click at that point anyway um, because of that behaviour, but then they're going to associate. I know at the end of every run I get this big rest and I also get this food that I freaking love. Mm-hmm. I like that. And I've also seen when they do well, not just one click, but several clicks. Is that just like an extra, you're doing so well, you're so great, like a reward and praise when you do more than one click? I haven't, um, I don't personally use more than one click. I'll just use um, a click. And if my horse does something amazing, then I'll have a, a also have a stash of like extra delicious treats in my um, treat pouch to be like, okay, that was amazing you put in so much effort there I'm going to give you this even more delicious food so then they're going to be like wow this was so cool mm-hmm. um and um another example I've noticed of um traditional riders using the positive reinforcement was I'm pretty sure that Carl Hester was talking about when um Charlotte's doing uh, was riding Vallegro and he would do like an amazing sort of extension or something like that, she would stop and rest him in the corner and you notice that they always give him breaks and they give him sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's people are incorporating it in their training, but they could potentially incorporate it with a little bit more um, precision, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I can't remember what your original question was now. <laughs> oh, that's okay. I'm just so interested in this and it's so fun to learn how much there is to know that's left, you know, on the table. Cause I've been in the horse industry yeah. my whole life and it's just eye opening, you know, what we yeah. really don't know. And that's why I love this podcast and bringing people from all around the world just to explain how they do things. Because I think as good horsemen, we understand that there's always more to learn. So mm-hmm. super incredible for my listeners that want to get involved, go to a clinic, do some type of training. Um, what are some of yep. the services or programs that you offer? Cause I know, I know I was looking at your site and you do offer some coaching, so that's outstanding, but explain that to us. Yeah, sure. So at the moment I'm really focusing on, um, what I've coined my confident equestrian program. So this is for people that either want to work with negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, or a blend of the two. So it's really open to anyone who's interested in learning a bit more about horsemanship and wanting to anyone who wants to teach their horses to become more confident in any environment and also have like a deeper connection um, with their horses. And if they want to learn some liberty and things like that along the way, that's also a great place to dive into that as well. So it's a 16-week program where you get um, one-on-one coaching from me every week and also access to a video course to help you kind of like go along your journey. And yeah, the results that I've had with my students have been really amazing going from like horses that are completely shut down. And mind you, one of my students have had this horse for 10 years. She was really shut down, uninterested in any sorts of any sort of training. She sort of didn't seem that keen on riding. 
to now within a really short period of time. She's the first horse to greet her at the um, when she gets to the paddock. Um, she's enthusiastic in her training sessions and she's doing these really cool um, Liberty stuff with her in the like this huge paddock and she's like hooked to her right by her side. Um, so it's super cool. So yeah, if anyone's interested in a transformation like that, that program is um, amazing for that. And if people just want to get a little glimpse into it, I also offer some um, just uh, standalone coaching calls as well. Wow. Okay. Very, very cool. When I'm on my way to Afghanistan right now, so it's going to be 30 day, or 60 days before I get back. Um, but when I yeah. get home, I am going to take that course. Um, because I love oh, cool. to hear about... I love this training program and I want to share with my listeners too. So this is a part of the show where I'm going to give something away. And for someone who is listening, I want to give you a coaching call with Felicity. All you have to do is share that you're listening to this podcast, tag me on your Instagram or Facebook, and I'm going to pick a winner so that we can both learn about this process a little bit more together. So that'll be a really fun treat for somebody who's listening. Um, Question though. Do you think that this industry is growing? Is this becoming a more common practice or, or is this just a very well-kept secret? Um, I think it is growing, but I think there's just, like with anything, and especially in the horse industry for some, for some reason, people, um, like, it's a very sort of cultural, um, habit-orientated industry where people are just really... Um, firm in tradition and I think that's a beautiful thing but however when you're really sort of firm in those boundaries with tradition you sort of leave yourself a bit closed off from all these amazing opportunities to make things better and I think positive reinforcement is a huge thing that people can incorporate to make um, situations um, and training sessions with their horses better not only from like a enjoying being around horses point of view but also competitively I think it can give you a huge advantage because um, there have been studies I watched this um, TED talk that um, Georgia Bruce gave from um, she um, her business is click with horses um, and she does some amazing sort of dressage movements with her quarter horse um, that she's taught using clicker training he can piaf massage flying changes um and she's taught him that just with the clicker training which is so cool yeah um but yeah she did this ted talk um definitely um search for it but apparently the studies show that animals learn so much faster using positive reinforcement training um and so imagine if you could yes the initial sort of starting process of it might feel a little bit slow but once they kind of click on and they have all this trust in you because the training sessions are fun you can make these amazing results and also have that partnership that I mean every little girl wants to have that partnership with their horses where they come running to you and they're just happy to see you and like you can do these things with them in the paddock and they don't want to run away from you like that's just everyone's dream so I think it's definitely a reality it just needs to be on a bit more of a public platform um, and also I think we just need to realize that some people are already using it they're just they just don't know that they are right 
Yeah, and I think that honestly, most of us are just horse lovers. We want to do what's best. And we just don't yeah. know how good that connection and relationship with our horses could be. And so for anyone yeah. who's hesitant, you know, I just encourage you to at least explore. It doesn't mean that you're married to this idea, but it doesn't hurt you to learn more and to see what other yeah. people are doing. Because anyone who I've seen that, that really truly uses this method, their horse, you can tell in their eyes and their mannerisms that they just truly love their, their human or their owner or their leader. And not, not just as a master, but as a partner. And they want to be with yeah. them. Trust, you can just, you can see it. And, you know, there's just a wide range of methods out there, but I love learning. And, and you kind of take, take with you what you resonate with. And for me, you know, positive reinforcement is definitely that. So I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show today and spreading your message about this training, because I think that it's just honestly revolutionary. <laughs> and I'm so yeah. excited to, tr to try it and to dive in. So don't forget to share this episode, everyone who's listening on your social media for a chance to win. You could join us on a coaching call. And thank you so, so much, Felicity. I'll put all of your social media tags in the show notes if you want to reach out to her. So all all right, guys, thanks again for listening to the Horsepower Podcast. Whoa. I said, whoa. Before you go, I have a favor to ask. If you enjoyed this episode today, please tag and share on social media to help us connect other horse lovers around the globe. Like, subscribe, and review. It would seriously help, and I will be forever grateful. And as always, thank you for listening to the Horsepower Podcast. Until next time, keep your head up and your heels down.